I'm Amber Peterson, and you're listening to Mamas and Money, Episode 33, Money Choices for Families. Did you know that creating confidence with your money will change your life? My name is Amber Peterson. I'm a mother, licensed financial professional, and a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And if you're ready, let's take this journey together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mamas and Money. I am just so glad that you are here today. And here at Mamas and Money, we want to help you create confidence in your money. Because when you're confident in your money, then you can build a life you love for you, for your family, and for your business. Now, today's episode is with my good friend and colleague, Mrs. Emily Penrod. She is a wealth of knowledge, and she is such a delight. And I think you will love listening to her. This episode that we're going to share today took place on her show, which is called Healing Your Families. It's on every single Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So I definitely recommend go check it out and just gain all of that amazing knowledge from this wonderful woman. Welcome to Healing Your Families. We've been talking about choices this month, and I am so excited for today's episode because we're going to be talking about One of the most important choices families have to deal with, and sometimes it can cause a lot of contention, a lot of arguing, but done right, it doesn't have to. It can actually draw family closer. So my guest today is Amber Peterson, the Money Mindset Coach, and she's going to talk to us about the healthy choices families can make about money. Amber, welcome. Well, thank you, Emily. I so appreciate being here and uh, chatting with you today. And I'm glad to have you. I'm glad with your background, you've learned a lot. You know, we we really have a relationship with money. Mm -hmm. We can hate it. We can resent it. We can worship it and make Mm -hmm. it more important than anything else. So Tell us a little bit more. I know you've been on my show before, but if you tell us again a little bit about your background, how did you end up as a money mindset coach? Yeah, absolutely. So I like many families getting started, getting married and having kids. It was a lot of trial and error. It was a lot of, all right, let's figure this out. Two people coming together and figuring out money. And my husband actually went into by financial system. He actually was a financial advisor for years. And we went through the crash of 2008. And that was an eye opener for so many of us. It was a pretty big eye opener for us because at the time my husband just barely switched jobs about a month before the crash. And we ended up losing our job through that experience. I said, you know what? I really need to learn about money because it affected our family in a very, very big way. That started my financial journey. And then through the years of my learning and my growth, then I also was introduced to coaching. And I thought, you know, this is so fascinating to see how we look and view money and how that can play such a major role in what we do as individuals, but ultimately with our families as well. The same time, I also became a financial professional. So I am licensed in certain financial products as well as a money mindset coach, because I've noticed that if we become confident in our money, then it completely changes what we can do for ourselves and our families and our futures. So if we can take care of that part, the ride is so much more enjoyable and so much more smoother going forward. 
it totally makes sense. Now, can you kind of explain what does a, a healthy relationship with money look like? That's a great question. And it's going to look probably a little different for everybody because we're all so unique, but I think a healthy relationship with money is one that's serving you going forward. And what I mean by that is sometimes we look at money, like you said, you know, we can have all sorts of relationships with money and sometimes they can be very negative. And if we look at that relationship, so for example, one that's pretty common is I ignore my money. Like if we're in a relationship, I just don't want to look at it. I want to ignore it. It's too much for me to, to look at and to take in. All right. But if we have something like that, if we're ignoring our money, is that serving us and our decision makings with money going forward? And I venture to say that probably isn't serving you just like a normal relationship with a spouse or a loved one. If we ignore them, it's not really serving us going forward. So a healthy view of money is one that's going to help you make the decisions that you need to with money to be confident in your money and then to really create the outcome that you want with money. All right. So does ignoring your money look like when you you get the paycheck and then you just you see something, you want it, you buy it, mm-hmm. you don't really think about how it's adding up and you just wait and see whether which runs out first, the money or the month? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and I think just even saying that, Emily, would think we all feel a little bit of stress because we're saying, all right, well, I want this because it's easy to do that. We recognize the things that we want. But then what we sometimes fail to take into account is getting this item right now. Is that really getting me to the goals I want with money? So for example, if you have a goal to get out of debt, And the money comes in, like you said, you say, oh, but I want this and I want this and I want this, but your goal is to get out of debt because you know, when you get out of debt, this is what I talk about in goals is that, you know, that that goal is going to serve you. That's what you want in your life. You want to have that because it can bring you more peace of mind. It can bring you uh, more stability with your income. You can then actually direct more of your money where you want it to go instead of paying it to someone else. So if you know, that's a goal that you want and you get that money in, then that's when you have to make a decision. Okay, am I going to put my money towards something that I know is going to serve me later on? Or am I going to spend it on something now that may not actually serve me and get me to my goals later on? That's an excellent point. So that's one of the choices that families need to make about money. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned that recently you've done some training, educating mm-hmm. on how the importance of both participants. You mentioned when you start out in marriage, you, you could have one spouse that mm-hmm. came from a home where there was a strict budget and it was mm-hmm. followed to the last cent. And then they marry someone that just, ah, we'll spend money when we have it. And when we don't, we'll just do without. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, Emily. And I think that's where a lot of contention with money and families can come from is you're putting two people together that usually have different mindsets around money. Usually we find either from their upbringing, just like you said, so you might have someone that says, okay, we're going to follow this budget to the very last cent. And then you might have someone that comes from a very different background. And because we're a combination of all of the different things we've been offered to us with money, our experiences with money, then when we come into a relationship, if we don't come together and understand how our mindsets are around money, how our spouse 
feels about money, thinks about money, then going forward, it makes it really difficult then to make those unified decisions to make money serve both parties. This is actually something my husband and I, he was one of the guests on my show recently, and we wanted to talk about how do you come together as a couple and learn about each other's mindsets in a way that is open, that is communicative, (laughs) that we're not judging each other for maybe our mindsets around money or the decisions we want to make with money, but come together to understand what we're thinking and feeling about money and then how we can use that knowledge and then work together to make decisions that serves everybody involved. So it sounds like you need to approach it without judgment. You're just listening Mm -hmm. to understand and you're accepting your spouse as they are. Yep. And then you're finding a way, how can we make this work to benefit both of us? So we both feel like we're getting what we need. And, and there may need to be maybe the, the spouse that's the spendthrift may need <laughs> to learn to curtail, mm-hmm. maybe just have a little slush fund. <clears throat> I think it really helps in a marriage if everyone has just a small amount, at least something that they can just, you know, they're discretionary. Yeah. Especially if there's a, just like you said, there's kind of two generic categories. We have spenders and we have savers. (laughs) Normally in a marriage, we tend to be more of one or the other. So like we might have one spouse that's more of a saver. We might have one that's more of a spender. And so I think that's a really good point that you bring up, Emilio, that even just having a little bit of wiggle room. So like someone that's more of a spender, doesn't feel so restricted, but says, Hey, this is the lifestyle I want to create. I want to be able to have a little bit to use as discretionary income. Cause that helps me have the lifestyle I want. Then that's really, really important to incorporate into a family plan or a family budget. Yes. And you know, another thought I have is understanding how compound interest works. Yes. The best time of life to start saving is in your twenties and thirties, even in your late teens. And yet this is the time of life where most, most parents of young children feel like they're just living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would even say, and if we can even start saving sooner, it becomes a habit. Now there's something that I teach or at least talk about that's called pay yourself first. And why I think that's so important is because, I mean, I think all of us at one point or the other, we might look at the bills coming in and say, okay, I've got to pay this bill first and then this bill and then this bill and this bill. And then if everything's paid, then maybe at the end of the month, I might have a little bit for savings or a little bit for debt. But what we find more often than not, just like you said, more (laughs) months than money, and we usually don't have any at the end of the month. And so if any sort of emergency comes up, something in our life happens that we weren't expecting. We don't have that safety net. We don't have that cushion of savings. And I think we've all had a time that we've experienced that. I recommend, even if your budget's really tight, find even just a little bit to put in savings first, even if it's only a few dollars (laughs) to start off with. And the reason for that is not only you're going to start building that safety net, And it's going to bring so much peace, more peace of mind to a family to have something there. But at the same time, it starts to become a habit. And the more and more you do it and the more and more it accumulates, it builds your confidence and what you're choosing to do for you and your family. And 
and if you set it up as like an automatic transfer, mm -hmm. you wouldn't even really miss it. It just goes. Yes. And, and, and what's the, and then another, you know, you talked about having an emergency fund. Mm -hmm. So what are the drawbacks to just using your credit card as your emergency fund? Yeah, that's a great question. So credit card companies are really good at generating revenue. <laughs> it's what they do. They said, yeah, you're more than welcome to borrow our money. We're happy to do that. But they're also going to charge usually a double digit percentage rate. And because they know that rule of 72 or compound interest as it's commonly known, they say the higher interest rate you're going to charge, the faster that money is going to double. So because they have that knowledge, they're going to say, all right, yeah, you can borrow a thousand dollars. No problem. I'm going to charge you an 18% interest rate. And especially when we're in an emergency, that's going to be tough as it is, no matter what the emergency is, let alone compounding it then of borrowing somebody else's money like a credit card. And then if you can't pay that back in a reasonable amount of time, then that becomes your new emergency because then the money keeps growing and compounding on each other all the time. I mean, it's actually like can be daily interest. At that point, you're like, how do I pay this too? Well, I've seen where someone did the numbers and they figured, okay, this is how much you paid for it. This is the interest you're paying. Yes. And if you take 10 years to pay it off, you're going to end up paying more in interest. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And and I sometimes I don't think that's what we think about when it's something in front of us that we need right now or we want right now. We're just like, oh yeah, we'll pay it off. No problem. But you're exactly right. If we pay only like the minimum payment or a smaller payment on that credit card every month, we take a year, two years, five years to pay that off. Yeah. You're going to pay way more in interest than just going on saving your money and buying the item outright. Now, I've, I've heard, I, I remember hearing it in my economics class, those who understand interest earn it, those who don't pay it. Eighth wonder of the world <laughs> by Mr. Albert Einstein. Yep, you said the same okay. thing. Okay, mm -hmm. all right, then that's who said it. So yeah. you mentioned the rule of 72. Can you just briefly explain what that rule is? Yeah, absolutely. So commonly known as compound interest, and it was founded by Mr. Albert Einstein, or at least it's contributed to him. So of course, a genius of our time. And he basically concluded that if you take the number 72, you divide it by the interest rate you're receiving on your money. That's how long it's going to take in years for your money to double. For instance, if you go to a local bank, let's say they might give you a, a maybe a less than 1% interest rate, but we'll say it's 1% <laughs> just to make the math pretty on your money. So if you invest a certain amount of money, it can be whatever amount you put in there maybe it's in a savings account, you take 72 divided by that 1%, it's going to take your money 72 years to double. So that's why paying attention to the rule of 72 is so important because the higher interest rate you can receive on your money, the faster your money is going to grow for you. And I understand right now CDs are going for four, four and a half percent. So it would make sense if your bank offers a CD rather than having it sit in the savings account where it's earning less than 1% get a CD. Absolutely. Yeah. So just knowing that one rule of 72, then you start looking at, okay, where's my money? What is actually going to work in my favor? So yeah, if you know that rule of 72, you're like, well, that 1% is not going to do as well as a 4%. I want to put some money here and it's going to grow that much quicker. Mm -hmm. And then what about a mutual fund? Yeah. So mutual funds are a little bit different, just in a little bit different category. So for instance, money in a bank, 
is pretty secure. They, it doesn't have to worry about the fluctuation in the market. Whereas a mutual fund can go up and down with the market. Now, mutual funds are spread out across a bunch of different companies. So the up and down swings aren't quite as high or as low, but we still have to realize that it does fluctuate with the market. So there's no like guarantees there. There's no, we're not going to lose money, right? It, because it's fluctuating with the market. But once again, it can give you a higher interest rate depending on your risk tolerance, depending on how it aligns with your goals with money. A mutual fund can be an option there too. So is it true that in general, the higher the risk or the higher the interest that you can earn, the higher the risk? It depends on what you go into <laughs> as far as financial strategies. So, yeah. so some are more riskier than others, I guess. Yeah. I mean, if you went fully into the market, let's say, so like the stock market, you kind of open yourself up to the ups and the downs, but there are different strategies and financial products out there that you can invest into that actually give you guarantees to say, we can get you a interest rate that usually tends to be higher than like a bank CD. And we can also guarantee that you don't lose money. And it just depends on your family's goals and the things that you want to accomplish if that fits into your particular strategy. And that's where you come in because you know, all of, you're familiar with all of those products. Yes. So and so, and that's it. primarily what I do is I want to educate. If someone wants to just come and learn what's available. Awesome. Let's do that <laughs> because I feel like that knowledge is power and it's even more powerful when it's applied. Uh, absolutely. And I love what you do. Okay. Now we need to touch on the negative side of the set rule of 72 or compound interest. Mm -hmm. So the bank is giving us less than 1% and the credit card company is charging us 18%. How long will it take for that debt to double? Mm -hmm. Great question. So it's the same rule. So you just say 72 divided by that 18% would then give you the calculation. And I, I'm not that quick on my feet right now to give you the exact number there, <laughs> but 72 divided by that 18% tells the credit card company how quickly their money can double if someone doesn't pay yeah. off their credit card. I think it's four. Yes. 18 plus 18 is 36. 36 plus 36 is 72. Love it, Emily. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. Yes. So in four years, your debt will double. Wow. Yeah. So that's if you don't pay it off. Right. And that, that is just going to keep growing and compounding on itself. Mm -hmm. Wow. Good to know. All right. So summing up some of the, the choices families need to make are first, they really need to be on the same page. And then mm -hmm. I think you need to start teaching this to your children. I remember mm -hmm. when we were raising our children, we would have, you know, family meetings. Let's talk about the family budget. I remember one time making the decision, we wanted to buy a trampoline and, and I'm, I'm aging myself. This was back when people had newspaper subscriptions mm -hmm. and we figured out if we canceled our newspaper subscription and there were a few other things if we eliminated that, we would be able to save up enough money for a trampoline. I think it was just like in a couple of months. So that would be a good choice for families to make too, to teach this to their children, get everyone involved. Absolutely. And I think that's something that really can change the dynamic of how we view money. 
for instance, when I was growing up, it was impolite to talk about money. You don't ask someone how much they make. You don't bring up the money conversations. If that's not polite, we don't talk about money. But I look at us as women. When we want to learn something, we usually find an expert in their field and like, okay, come teach me. I want to learn. Let's open up the conversation. And especially when women share their experiences and say, well, this is what happened to me when I became a parent, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm learning from that. That's so great. But for some reason, money still kind of carries a little bit of that stigma and people are like, oh, I can't share my experience with money or money is, you know, still a taboo subject. I think what's so important is if you bring your family together and you show that you're an example with money, like you can talk to your kids, this is how much money we spend on bills. What an eye-opening experience it is for them because they're like, oh, this is what mom and dad have to do to, to earn this money so we can have things like heat and a house. And and this is why mom and dad keep telling us to turn off the light if we're not using <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. We are that first exposure for them, for our kids. This is how money works. And I love your example, Emily, because if you bring your family together and you say, okay, we, we have this goal. So that's another reason of being open and discussing, you know, what you want to do and accomplish and say, I understand that you want to do a family vacation. We all do. Okay. Well, if we want to save for a family vacation, these are kind of the bills we have to pay. These are some discretionary things. What are we willing to give up or to maybe not pay for right now so we can save and do this? And it also helps them be empowered to make financial decisions. Even sometimes if those financial decisions means that it involves a little bit of sacrifice for the time being, because ultimately it gets them what they want. Yes. All right. And then in addition to being on the same page, then deciding what we want our money to do for us right? Is, did I understand that correctly? Understanding how interest works. Yes. I mean, because just knowing that alone already empowers us to make better decisions, especially after ladies and families listen to this today, they might go say, where is my money and what is it earning? And to see if that really is serving them. I think it's so important when, especially a couple comes together and says, okay, these are our goals with money. Maybe it's, we want to buy a house all right, let's make that a goal. What can we do to work together to make that a reality and still make it a win situation for everybody? And once we start to become more aligned and we understand those rules, then it's a much the process to just keep making those decisions to helping you create what you want and to get really what you want through money. All right. Now I know you have a podcast, Mamas and Money. I love that title. Yes. I have a podcast called Mamas and Money, and I have a show here on this Win Win Women Network that's also called Mamas and Money. So I made it pretty streamlined for people to find. And I just love sharing what I have learned and what I've gained through money, being a financial professional, and also through coaching. Because the more we can know and understand about money, how we feel about money, our mindsets around money the more it can empower us to make the decisions we want to with our money to create the life we want. Yes. Now remind me what, what day and time is your show? Yeah. So it's every Friday at 12 PM Pacific standard time. Awesome. And I know you have a lot of valuable information. What's the best way for people to contact you? How can they connect? 
So of course, if you're here already on the Win Win Women Network, you can find my show on here as well. And so you can just go to winwinwomen.tv and I'm listed under the money and finance categories. So I'm right there and you can find me there on Mamas and Money. Also, I have a website, which is amberpetersoncoaching.net. So if they want to connect, learn a little bit more about what I do, you can reach me there and through the podcast, which is on pretty much every major podcast distribution. And the link to your website, isn't that also on the Win Win Women? Yep, it is. So that's there. And I know you're on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram, right? I am. Yes, <laughs> I am there as well. My Instagram is creating confidence with your money. Facebook is just Amber Peterson. And then on LinkedIn, just Amber Peterson. And I love your Instagram handle, Create Confidence. I love that. You know, we don't think of that. We just, some of us grew up with this idea that money is the root of all evil. <laughs> yep. You want to address that one real quickly? Yeah. And I think that is a great point. We take on others' beliefs around money. Our loved ones, our, those who raised us wanted the best for us. They wanted the best life for us. And they wanted to give us well, maybe their advice to avoid some pitfalls when it comes to, especially around money. So you hear things like that. Money is the root of all evil. Uh, money doesn't grow on trees. Save money for a rainy day, right? These <laughs> sound really familiar. And it's coming from those we love, their mindsets around money. So they're offering to them to us. And then we have to decide, are those mindsets, are those things they're offering us, is that going to then serve us in our mindset and our own beliefs around money today? Because if we think of money as an evil thing, I would say the majority of us don't want to be associated with something that's evil. It almost makes you feel guilty if you yes. earn more money than you need. Suddenly, what am I doing wrong? Absolutely. And if we even just think of it in general, well, I don't want to be evil. So then we start to disassociate ourselves with making money and bringing money in. And then it kind of destroys what we're doing with money. <laughs> you no, know, we need money for our families. We need money to have a house to be in and, and whatever our goals are. So money can do a lot of good. It can yes. feed the hungry, build houses for the homeless. Yes. And I think so much of the time our brains focus on the negative and what we've heard and what's been repeated to us instead of saying, what good can I do with money? Yes. The more money I make, the more I can serve because it yes. gives me the flexibility and freedom to do so. So sometimes we have to get out of that mindset. And is that true? Is money really the root of all evil? Or what could I do with money? What can money accomplish? And that, and that is a misquote of scripture. It is. <laughs> the love of money. It's when yes. we make money more important than our relationships, than the people we love. That's when it's a problem. Absolutely. And that's why I think too, um, sometimes when we clash on money within families, it's because we just don't know how to marry those mindsets. Cause we might have someone that says, no, money's evil. We might have another spouse that says, no, we could do a lot of good with money. And that's where the conflict comes from. And so being able to understand that work through that can make a world of difference. It can. Amber, thank you so much for coming. I knew you would have some gems to share and you did. I deeply appreciate it. So for my listeners, thank you so much for joining. Come back again next week at the same time. And let's make the world a better place by strengthening our families. I love the 
ideas on improving communication, nurturing our relationships, listening with empathy and to understand. I have information on that on my website. So I'll see you again next week at the same time. This is Emily Penrod with HealingYourFamilies.com. And if you're finding this podcast helpful, but you want to go to the next level in creating confidence with your money, head on over to amberpetersoncoaching.net forward slash courses. There we're going to help you create confidence in your money. And what does confidence do? It's going to help you make those decisions you need to make about your money and feel good about those decisions. It's going to help you generate more abundance and more income where we can look at what is your money mindset creating for you? And is that something that's serving you? Or do you want to create something more? I look forward to seeing you there. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining me today. Please let me know if you have any questions or ideas of things you want to learn about in upcoming podcast episodes. You can reach me by email at amberpetersoncoaching at gmail.com. And if you find this podcast to be beneficial and is supporting you in your goals, please leave a review. That way others can find this podcast as well. I appreciate you and look forward to taking this journey together.